invite Tanisha to come to the front and Cheyenne come to the front. Now, Tanisha did not steal Sandy's car, <laughs> but Cheyenne's just going to share a little bit about what took place Saturday morning with the car, and then Tanisha will finish up the rest of the story. Um, we were going to go to church, obviously, and we were um, getting ready to go downstairs, and we were kind of rushing it. We were really late. And we walked downstairs and turned the corner, and I'm like, Mom, our car isn't here. And um, she's like, oh, maybe I misplaced it. I'm like, you don't misplace your car. And so um, we kind of freaked out. Um, we figured our car was stolen. And we reported it, called Rondi to come pick us up, and we came back to the Now, church. what type of car was it? Um, an old, beaten-up Saturn. An old, beaten-up Saturn, okay. Now, there's a lot of Saturns in this, in this area, okay? Okay, very good. So your car was, it wasn't there that morning, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I told Sandy, I saw Sandy during the uh, potluck time, and I said to her, I said, Sandy, I said, don't worry, the Lord's going to take care of it. Providence. And she was just very frustrated. She's like, I don't want to hear that. She said, I want my car back. <laughs> the Lord knows. Amen? And he loves this family. Now let's hear the rest of the story. Okay, so um, Sunday came and went. Monday, I drive Austin, my son, all the way over here to Adkisson to school. Um, and I live all the way out in the country, so I usually take the easiest route and the fastest route, and that is to take Crow's Landing to Keys Road and Keys up to Morgan and so on and so forth till I get over. Um, but that day, that morning, I took my normal route, and at 2 o'clock when I leave my house to go pick my son up, I got to Keys Road in Crow's Landing, and the Lord said, take Crow's Landing. You've got so much time to kill. You're usually there early. Take Crow's Landing. So I did. Um, mind you, it's a Monday afternoon. I get up to Hackett, where the um, Crow's Landing flea market is, and it's completely empty. And as I'm driving by, I see this car in almost into the almond orchard at the back of a dirt lot, and I thought, kind of looks like Sandy's car. And then I thought, well, but maybe it's not. So I kept going, went to pick my son up. And something said, go back the exact same way you came. And I thought, okay, so if the car is there, stop, call Sandy, check the license plate number, and find out if it's her car. Mind you, I got there, I pulled over, Sandy didn't answer her phone, so I'm leaving her a message thinking, hurry up and answer. And she calls me right back as I'm leaving her a message, and I said, Sandy, I think I found a car that looks just like yours. And um, she goes, well, see if there's a dent in the back. And I said, Sandy, you, there's lots of dents in cars. You've got to give me a license plate number. So she says, okay, okay, hold on. So Austin and I get out of the car, and we walk all the way to the back of the lot. And as I'm walking back there, I'm thinking, please, Lord, protect us, because we have no clue who's in this car, if there's anybody in it, or if I startle somebody, what's going to happen. So we get back there, and lo and behold, I said, Sandy, what's your license plate number? And she says, S-U-L. And I was like, Oh, gosh. And she goes, wait, 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 no. It's 3-S-U-L-593. And I was like, Sandy, I just found your car! <laughs> so we're standing there, and, and um, as we're waiting for the cops, and then I had to get my son home, I just, when we got home and on the way home, Austin says, Mom, the Lord found Sandy's car, and the Amen. devil doesn't have it anymore. <laughs> 
so that right there, I didn't find Sandy's car. The Lord used me to help Sandy find her car. And I was just happy, even if, even if I just would have drove past and seen it and called her and said, your car's there. The fact of the matter is, my son learned something that day, and he learned that we were used to find Sandy's car. So Lord is awesome. Amen. Amen. Hold Sandy. Praise the Lord. Amen. Remember, key word is providence. Praise the Lord. Now, there was just a few items that were stolen, a broken computer, a stereo, and what else? My books and my chemistry notes. But they didn't take all your homework, right? No, they left my Spanish notes and my religion notes. They probably thought to themselves, we, they, we don't want them to end up like us. They better do their homework, especially the religion homework. Amen? Praise the Lord, church family. You know, I'll tell you this. If you submit your ways to God, He will work things out for your good. Amen? All right, we're going to be taking a good look at a very interesting story in the Bible. So we're going to go very rapidly. So make sure you take out your Bibles right now. We're going to be looking at the book of Joshua. What book did I say? Joshua. That's exactly right. The name of the sermon is called Sunlight Control. Sunlight Control. Very interesting story. Take your Bible. Let's go to Joshua chapter 10. Now this is a very interesting part of Israel's history. Moses had passed away. Joshua had now taken over. Joshua led Israel into battle. And various ways and diverse manners, God led Israel to conquer their enemies. One particular story takes place in which God teaches special lessons to Israel in times of war. All right, we're going to start with Joshua chapter 10. Let's take a good look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Firam, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. What's very interesting is that this king, he gets all these other, other, other kings to help him because they're going to go attack this ally of Israel, Gibeon. They're going to conquer it. They're going to cut off Israel's ally, thus leaving Israel vulnerable to other attacks. But they didn't realize that Israel had worshipped the true God. And what takes place is that Joshua musters up all his forces when he's realizing Gibeon is being attacked, and they enter into war with all these kings. Now you can imagine just what the, the ferocity of the battle. You can just imagine the intensity of what's taking place. Now pay attention, take a good look all the way to verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgag, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before, shall, not a man of them shall stand before you. 
Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgag. That was about 24 miles. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them, and a great slaughter of Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Berth Haran, and struck them as far as Azak and Makdah. I'm having difficulty pronouncing these names. They sound very Indian. All right, verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the desert of Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel than, the, than that the children of Israel had killed with the sword. Now pay attention to verse 12. It goes back, it rewinds in the midst of the battle, and it shows you what takes place. Verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up all the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahilon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Something very interesting to note is that while this battle was taking place, Joshua was realizing time was slipping away. The night was coming. He realized that if he didn't destroy this army that they were going to take off, they're going to come back with greater numbers and cause them more problems. Joshua, in the midst of this battle, looks up to the sky and he says, Sun, stand still! And moon, don't move! And all of a sudden, the sun stayed where it was and the moon didn't come up or come out. And that day was prolonged enough so that Israel could finish its battle and utterly conquer Israel. Now I want you to think about this for just a second. What we are looking at is not something that is natural. Does that make sense so far? We are not looking at something that can be explained by the laws of physics. Whenever God does a miracle, you know, it's very interesting. Whenever people, whenever people read things in the scriptures about God doing a miracle, they tend to try to figure out the dynamics and the physics behind this. But I want you to understand this. There is multiple miracles taking place for this sun to stand still. This isn't just one miracle. You do understand that the moon revolves around the, sun, or revolves around the earth and the earth revolves around the sun. There's an orbit that takes place, a rotation. So when God is holding that, that rotation from taking place, he is holding other things as well. There are multiple miracles happening at this very moment. And it's very remarkable. All because one man called out to God in the midst of battle. The entire galaxy froze. Yet at the same time, life was being sustained by the power of God. And many people on the other side of the road, other side of the world, probably got an extra couple hours of sleep and didn't realize what was happening. But this is a very remarkable miracle. Now watch what the scripture says next. Look at verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for a whole day. And there had been no day like that. Now watch this. Before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. 
Notice this, the Bible says something very powerful. It says, look, there was never a day like this before, nor was there a day like this afterwards, that a man said something to God, and God heard it, and stopped everything else because of what this man had said. This is actually one of the most powerful miracles in all of Scripture. One of the most powerful miracles. And when you think about it, all the dynamics and the logistics that would be involved in this, this is something that only God himself could do. Now the question comes right back to us. How is it possible for a man like that to have faith to speak to God in such a way where God himself would stop everything else in the galaxy Everything in the galaxy for him. It's very remarkable. The Bible actually says a lot about Joshua. A lot about Joshua. And watch this. We're going to go to a couple different uh, passages. And I want you to see something remarkable about the man Joshua. Okay? Take your Bible. Go to Exodus chapter 33 verse 7. Exodus chapter 33 verse 7. Watch what the Bible actually says about this man Joshua who had this kind of faith. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. That's the second book of the Bible. And if you're there, go ahead and call it the page number. 84. Thank you. All right. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now watch what the Bible says right here. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So in other words, there was this tent that was placed outside the camp. And anybody who had a question for God, a, a desire from God, would actually separate themselves from the camp, go to this tent meeting, or this place where it was, and commune with God, speak with God. Now watch what the Bible says about this tabernacle. It's very remarkable. Verse 8. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. Verse 9, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. That's incredible. God himself would speak to Moses. Moses was also known as the meekest man in all of Scripture. Let's keep going. Verse 9, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 10, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to camp. Moses, when he was done speaking with God, would leave this tabernacle. But it's remarkable about what the Bible says next. But his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the what? The tabernacle. Folks, do you understand what the Bible is actually saying about Joshua right here? Well, everybody else, even Moses, had to get some distance. Had to go off and take a, a breather. Joshua would stay right by this tabernacle of meeting. 
and he would continue in prayer. This is so remarkable about this man, Joshua. It even says he was a young man. This is one of the first mentions of Joshua. And you begin to notice something about this man, Joshua. People who do great things in the Bible tend to have a past of special communion with God. Daniel did great things for God. But the Bible's very intentional about mentioning that he had a prayer life ever since he was a young child. And so when the Bible talks about Joshua, this great man who said, Son, stand still! The Bible rewinds and takes us right back to the life of Joshua that even as a young man, while everybody else was done communing with God, even Moses, the man who talked with God, Joshua would stay right by the tabernacle and he would continue to worship God and commune with God. Look what Ellen White says right here. It's very remarkable. Talking about that war with those kings, Joshua did all that human energy could do, and then he called out in faith for divine aid. The secret of success is the blending of divine power with human, what? Effort. The man who commanded sun, sand, still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aholon, is the man who lay flat on the earth for hours in prayer at Gilgog. Now watch this remarkable word, these remarkable words. People of prayer are people of what? Power. Can you say amen to that? It's very remarkable. Joshua, the one who called out in faith for God to do something huge. Are you guys realizing how big it is to hold the, the, the sun still? He is stopping the rotation of the entire galaxy. But the Bible traces it right back to Joshua's faithfulness. I love what Ellen White says. He was the man who lay flat on earth for hours praying, his face to the ground. He's supplicating the throne of God for strength, for power. He's praying and asking for a oneness with God to understand his ways. For hours he was there because he was that type of individual. Folks, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you prayed for more than 30 minutes? When's the last time you prayed for more than 20 minutes? A lot of times we're always getting mad at God and we're saying, God, how come you're not doing anything? Oftentimes God's saying to you, how come you're not doing anything? You look at the man Joshua and you look at his faithfulness in prayer. He was an individual that would not stop. And he would lay for hours pleading for God to do something huge. And when the time was right... At that moment, he was poetically inspired to call out to the sun because he was in tune with God's will. And God froze everything for this man. Amen. He laid on the ground for hours. Folks, when it comes to prayer, a lot of us have a difficulty with prayer because many times we don't understand the dynamics of prayer. And we need to understand that. We need to understand some of the dynamics of prayer. You know what's very interesting? You notice the key word depart. Joshua did not depart from the tabernacle, right? Now take your Bible, go to Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to show you something else that's very remarkable that God had also told Joshua as well. 
He was an individual who did not depart from the tabernacle. In his communion with God. Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 8. Page 202. We have page numbers in our Bibles. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not what? What's the key word? Now Joshua in his prayer life would not depart from the tabernacle. Now watch what God says. Look, you're now the leader of Israel. You're not going to be able to be by the tabernacle all the time. So this is what I want you to do. Look what he says. The book of the law shall not depart from your what? Mouth, but you shall meditate, it on, meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way, what's that next word? Prosperous, then you will have good what? Success. God told Joshua, look, you're not going to be able to stay there by the tabernacle all the time. So day and night, I want you to open up the scriptures and I don't want you to depart from that. And it was his way of making his communion with God mobile. That wherever Joshua was at, Joshua was at, he would be able to spend time in the presence of God and understand what God was speaking to him about. And so when that critical moment came, when he, like Esther, was placed in a moment of providence, he was so in tune with the Spirit of God that when God told him to do something, he recognized it. And he spoke out in response. And that's why we have one of the greatest miracles in all of scriptures. Folks, I asked this last week. I'm going to ask it again. Do you believe God wants to do big things through you? Are you sure you really believe that? Do you really believe God wants to do powerful things in your life? I believe with my whole heart. And the Lord is disappointed when his people make small requests. When he is able to accomplish much more for your life. Amen? But he's calling you to act out in faith. To spend time in the scriptures understanding his will. So that when you're praying things, you're praying things according to the scripture. You know what's very remarkable? There was a man by the name of George Mueller. Well known in, in the Christian world. He had set up orphanages and schools. And many years ago, he was just known as this man of prayer. He said something remarkable one day. He said, many people spend time praying and then they read the Bible. He says, I pray before I read the Bible, but I make my prayer life based upon what I had read in the scripture. Why? Because now he was understanding what the will of God was. And so he was praying things according to what he was actually reading in the scripture. And this is what Joshua was all about. He understood that God was going to be with him in the battle. He recognized the promises in the word of God. And that when it came for that critical moment, he called out in faith according to the will of God. And God just froze things for this man. Folks, I want to tell you something. God wants to do big things through you. Amen. He doesn't want you to miss those opportunities. It's like the story of that man who gets to heaven one day and the angel's taking him everywhere, showing him all the, all the answered prayer and all the blessings he had received when he was on earth. And the angel takes him to this, this, this uh, house and the house had a lock on it. And the man said, well, I want to see what's inside that house. And the angel said, no, you don't. And the man said, no, I want to see what's inside the house. And the angel said, no, you don't. And the man said, I want to see. The angel said, 
<sighs> okay. Takes him right to that house, opens up the door, and he says, he sees all these gifts, all these presents. And the man said, what are these? And the angel said, all the stuff that God wanted to do for you. But you never asked. Folks, don't miss the opportunities of this brand new year. Don't miss all that God wants to do. He's moving in powerful ways, and we want to be where he's at. Can you say amen to that? We want to be where he is at. And we need to understand this concept of prayer. We need to be a people who pray. Jesus would spend all night in prayer, and if he was a man who was sinless, who found the need to pray, how much more do we, who are full of sin, need to pray? Amen? A few things to understand about prayer. I never forgot, one of the first times I I really experienced prayer was this very godly woman who's still in my life, and she's like my Christian mother, and she just has the most special prayers. I mean, when she's, you just sense that this woman is connected to God. You know people like that? Do you know people like that? If you don't know people like that, I want to challenge you to pray and say, Lord, lead me to people who really know you, and he will lead you. But this woman is connected with God. But there was a pastor that I met one time. He was from overseas. And he had a very interesting way of praying. You know what his prayers were like? It's very interesting. Now, I'm not mock, actually, I am mocking it. Um, what he would do is this while we were entering into prayer, he would do this. He'd stretch out his hand and he'd sort of pontificate. And it would start off like this from the mountain. To the seas. You who created the valleys. The universe. Bless this burrito that we are about to eat. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. He'd pontificate. And it would just it'd be this sort of really just, uh, just this prayer that had this, this elocution to it. This articulation It was beautiful. But at the same time. He was just asking for a simple blessing upon the food. There needs to be more simplicity in prayer, amen? But at the same time, there needs to be depth and honesty in prayer. I hope you understand the dichotomy between those two things. Simplicity to some people means, Lord, bless this food. Uh, Please forgive me for all my sin. I'm good to go. There's no sincerity of heart there either. So we need to make sure we're balanced. Prayer does not bring God down to us. It brings us up to God. Amen? I like what Martin Luther says. He says this. Very remarkable. He said, he says, prayer does not overcome the reluctancy of God. Prayer allows us to access the willingness of God. I want to say that one more time. Prayer does not overcome the reluctancy of God. Prayer allows us to access the willingness of God, what he's already wanting to do. And so when we're spending time in prayer, we need to trust that God wants to be with us and he wants to answer those prayers. Amen? Number two, there's one thing that we really need to pray for. It's very special. And that is for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Every single day. Now let me ask you a question. Now think about the last time when you were last baptized, okay? All right, think about that date, the last time you were baptized, okay? You got that date in your mind? 
Okay, now at the count of three, I want everybody to say that date. There may be confusion here. Ready? One, two, three. Let's try it again. Ready? One, two, three. When was the last time you were baptized? You know when you should have said you were baptized? This morning. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Every single day. Every single day you need to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I may say to you may cause some confusion, but I'm going to say it anyways. The baptism of the Spirit is more important than baptism of water. <gasps> the baptism of the Spirit is more important than the baptism of water. Most people trace their conversion and the entrance into the church of when the day they were baptized by, the, by water. But folks, the Holy Spirit has been working on your life a long time ago. But every single day, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 4. Jesus with his disciples, and he tells his disciples something very remarkable. He says this. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to, what's that key word? What's that key word? Depart. That's exactly right. Depart from where? From Jerusalem, but to wait for the what? Promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the what? With the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. You know what Jesus was telling his disciples? You need to pray for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it will come when it's needed. Every single day we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. And someone says to you, when were you last baptized? I was baptized this morning by the Spirit. I was baptized this morning. I got that fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God today. Jesus taught his disciples, you need to pray for this every single day. And by the way, I want to say this. I know we have these, you know, and I don't mean to criticize this, but I know we have these sort of, uh, you know, uh, 20 days of prayer, 30 days of prayer, 40 days of prayer, or 10 days of prayer like they did in the book of Acts. But I want to let you know something. Jesus never told his disciples, I want you to pray for 10 days for the Holy Spirit. You understand that? The blessing came on the 10th day. But they had no knowledge that the Holy Spirit was going to come on the 10th day. But they were just following the command as long as it took. Sometimes we do these like, three days prayer events and just like that's all I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit for and that's it and we walk away and Jesus is like saying no you need to keep praying the disciples had it in their mind we're not going to stop praying until we receive the Holy Spirit now pay attention to what I'm about to say to you their continual asking of the Holy Spirit made them more capable of receiving the Holy Spirit did you get that? Are you sure you got that? Who got that? All right, who raised their hand? Who raised their hand? Who got that? Oh, the hand, no one raised their hand. We got one right there, who else? One right there? Chris, I saw you raise your hand. You didn't raise it the second time. 
Chris, what does that mean? Okay, how does asking make you more capable of receiving? That's right. And the more you ask, what starts forming in your heart? In expectancy, a desire. And you know what else happens? The more you desire the Spirit, the more your heart becomes prepared to receive a greater outpouring. In fact, you know what you ought to be praying for more than the latter rain? You're like, what's more important than the latter rain? The early rain. You know why? You know what the early rain does for you? The early rain gives you a desire for the latter rain. <gasps> That's exactly right. You hear what I just said to you? The early rain gives you a desire for the latter rain. And the more you're pleading for the early rain, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a desire for the latter rain. And as that desire grows, guess what, hap guess what happens? Your soul becomes more and more open to receive this powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You ought to be praying daily for the outpouring of the early rain. And the early rain will fit you up for what God wants to do. We're always focused on the latter rain. But folks, we give up. After about three days of prayer, praise God, that revival speaker, when he came in here, I was excited for two days. Then I lost, I got very discouraged and I stopped praying about it. You're praying for the wrong thing. You need to pray for the early rain. And the early rain will give you a hunger and desire for the latter rain. And your heart will become more and more open. And God will pour out his spirit like he did upon Joshua, like he did upon those disciples. Folks, we cannot misunder, we cannot uh, uh, not understand this. We need to, to grasp this concept. Unless we understand the difference between the early rain and the latter rain, we're going to still be shooting and trying to hit a target that we can't see. Folks, we need to plead for the early rain. Amen? And we need not stop until we receive that blessing. Like Joshua. He lay there. He wouldn't give up. Now I'm going to ask you another question. Ready for this one? Can you name two people in the scriptures that actually cried during their times of prayer? Who? Hannah. Oh, Hannah? Okay, very good. That's three, actually. <laughs> I didn't... Uh, can I have two more? Who? How do you know? How do you know he was crying? Where does it say he wept? It said he wept during the tomb of La the tomb of Lazarus, but where does it say he wept when he was praying? Hebrews 5. Who said that? You read what Hebrews says. The book of Hebrews actually says that Jesus wept with strong crying. There was actually crying in the prayers of Jesus. Do you know somebody else who cried during their prayers? Jacob when he wrestled with that angel. Do you know where it says he cried? Like in the book of Genesis where it describes that event. No, it doesn't. There was another Bible writer who was inspired by the Holy Spirit. When you have time, I want you to read Hosea chapter 12, verse 4. It actually tells you that Jacob wept in his wrestling with God. When's the last time you wept in prayer? When's the last time there were tears coming down your eyes as you were pleading for God's help? We give up too easily. We give up too easy. And God is calling us to cling to Jesus and not to let go. 
and with tears, praying for him to move. Even Jesus one time asked a question about the people at the end of time. You know what he asked one time? He told his disciples at the end of this parable, he says, when the Son of Man comes again, will he even find faith? He poses a question. It wasn't for the disciples to understand. It was for the people of God at the end of time to understand. As they were reading that, even Jesus was doubting. The, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The trust of God's people at the very end of time. Even Jesus was questioning that. Will, they, will he even find faith? Will there even be faith among them? Folks, we need to cling to God in prayer. Whatever those things are that we are praying for. And oftentimes we give up at the moment when God's about to do something big. Prayer brings us into tune with the Spirit of God and what God is doing. Amen? Now I'm going to share something with you. Very remarkable. Uh, this one's going to blow your mind. Are you ready for this one? Here we go. Ministry of Healing, page 478 and 479. Too many in planning for a what? Have you planned for a brilliant future? I have. Several times. Too many in planning for a brilliant future make an utter Failure. Is it because God doesn't want to accomplish those dreams? Is he opposed to your dreams? In your own strength, you are incapable of accomplishing those dreams. Let God plan for you. Let what? Let who? Do you have dreams in your life? Things you're praying about the future, in the future? Why don't you let God planned for you. Amen? Now watch this. As a little child, trust to the guidance of him who will keep the feet of his saints. 1 Samuel 2.9. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the what? Beginning and discern what? The glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Are you ready for the left hook now? How is God leading you? How is he responding in your prayer life? And the purposes and plans he is fulfilling in your life? How is he doing it? What's he basing it upon? He's basing his response. And his, now get this. Don't, this is going to be powerful. You ready for this? Let there be bated breath. What is it? He's basing his response to your prayer life as something you would do if you were in his place. Now let's take it a step further. It is your future self who has given approval upon God's responses and purposes in your life now. Did you grasp that? If you're going to get mad at God, you should probably get mad at your future self first. Because it's your future self who apparently is looking upon what God has accomplished in your life and seeing the times and the manners in which God answered prayer in your life and has actually approved what God has done. It is your future self that is to blame If you're frustrated with God, 
Did you grasp and understand that concept? God is only doing something in your life as if you were the one who had his position and responsibility. It's your future self who has approved this and has placed your mark upon all the plans and purposes of God. Not that God causes those tragedies or those sins in your life, but God's goodness in spite of those things and what God did in spite of those things. And those moments you were praying and you're saying, God, why did you have to wait this long for you to finally answer? And when you see it, you're gonna say, oh yeah, that's what I would have done too. That is a powerful concept when you get that. Because the one who is responsible for your life is you. You are the one who one day look back and say, that's exactly what I would have done if I was in God's place. And that's why God will say to you, that's why I did it that way. It's your future self. And when you pick that up and understand that perspective, all of a sudden you begin to understand why there's sometimes delays, why there is sometimes these trials. And God doesn't answer the manner in which I want him to, but he answers another way. It's what you have decided was the best thing for your life. That's a hard concept for many people to grasp but we will see the truth of it. We will see the truth of it. And everyone will praise God and say, just and true are your ways, God. Thank you so much for leading in my life. A few things to remember our prayer, number one, simplicity yet depth and sincerity with God. Number two, clinging to God, not giving up on those things that you're praying for. Becoming in tune with the Spirit of God as you're communing with Him in the Scriptures. You know, one day there was uh, these five college students had gone out to see this powerful preacher by the name of uh, Spurgeon. See, each Spurgeon, and they were so excited about this powerful preacher. I haven't seen him in person, but they're just like, we're going to go there, we're going to check things out. We heard a lot about him. They meet this man at the door, and they said, yeah, we're here to see the preacher. C.H. Spurgeon says, well, before you see the preacher, let me show you the boiler room of this church. So what do you mean the boiler room of this church? We're already hot. It's a hot day. We don't want to go to see where the, where the we don't want to be where the furnace is at. And he says, no, let me show you. It's really awesome. So this greeter takes them all the way to this room. And this is before the church service had started. And there was hundreds of people who were praying for the outpouring of the Spirit. And he says, this is the hottest place of the church. Right there. And the greeter revealed himself to be C.H. Spurgeon. The successful evangelist said it was because of these people who were praying. Folks, God wants to do big things for our church, amen? He wants to do big things in your life. But he wants you to start exercising more effort in your prayer life, to start praying with people, to pray as a church family. Prayer unites us. We need to go forward and press on and plead for the Spirit of God. Amen? We're going to do something very special.
It's not an altar call. I'm going to invite the elders up. Scott is just going to go right over there against that wall right now. We're actually going to have an anointing service. An anointing service? The Bible teaches for those who are sick. You could be physically sick right now. Dealing with something, you're having difficulty in finding help. Or, now get this, you may be spiritually sick. Perhaps you're dealing with an addiction you cannot overcome. Our elders want to spend time with you and they want to anoint you. Perhaps you're dealing with these emotions that you can't shake them, this intense depression, and you're wanting victory in your lives. The Bible says, is any among you sick? Let him pray. Let him call the elders of the church. We're following scripture protocol. Exactly what God says to do. We're going to do it today. And if you're interested in that, you may not have to share the, the, the secrets of your life. Our elders are going to spend time just anointing you and letting you go. So right after we're done praying, if you just want to line up right over here, they'll take you in the back, do a quick anointing service, and pray and plead the blood of Jesus over you until that stronghold in your life is broken. Amen? God's not giving up on us. Amen? Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and for your love. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you in prayer. Lord, you allowed us to come to the most holiest place in all the universe to where you are at, your throne, places that even angels are not allowed into. But you allow sinful humanity to be there. God, we are unworthy of this. But there's many burdens on our hearts, Lord, things we're struggling with and trying to understand and things we need victory over, God. Help in areas, burdens lifted. Jesus, you know our hearts right now. Just want to pray and ask God that we would remember the example of Joshua. We'd wrestle with you in prayer and not give up. And Lord, we pray a special blessing upon those who are getting anointed, those who have struggles right now and just want victory of some kind, Lord. Thank you, God, because we know you will fulfill your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.